Welcome to the Truth and Liberty broadcast. We believe we have a mandate to bring godly change to our nation and the world through the seven spheres or mountains of influence. To further this cause, we give away a product every week that will empower you to get involved in changing your life and changing our world. You can register for our weekly giveaway by subscribing at truthandliberty.net. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive weekly updates on guests, news, and much more. This is an interactive live cast, and we welcome your questions. To ask a question during the live cast, use the comment or chat features. Now get ready to dive into this week's topics with our hosts on location in Colorado, USA. Welcome to our Monday night Truth and Liberty live cast. I'm Andrew Womack, and I'm here with our chief counsel, Richard Harris. He's also the director of Truth and Liberty, and just a real blessing. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we do this Truth and Liberty every Monday night at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. And tonight we have Dr. Walter uh, uh, Daughtery. I hope I pronounced that right. We'll get him to correct <laughs> us if I didn't. And anyway, it, tur it turns out that he's been a partner with our ministry for quite a while, which I really appreciate. And so he's a little bit familiar with us. We, uh, for those of you that saw the email we sent out, we were uh, scheduled to have Sheriff Jason Mikesell, but he got sick. We were going to be talking about yeah. crime and how to deal with it. But anyway, we, this is going to be about the audits that have been done on the Dominion voting machines. And I tell you, this is, I think it's more than a smoking gun. Yes, sir. The gun's even hot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be talking about some things that I believe will be a real interest to you, but Richard has some ways that you can interact with us and ask questions, and we've got things coming up. And so, yes. Richard, thank what do you, you have Richard. to share with us? All right. Well, thank you guys for watching. Um, this really is going to be an important show tonight. I think you're going to get some information that you just won't get anywhere else. So be sure to tell your friends and family about this. And if you're watching um, on YouTube, I want to encourage you to jump off there and get on our website, truthandliberty.net, where you'll have a reliable viewing experience. Um, and uh, wanted to mention, speaking of our website, we've got some great resources on there, some new stuff that we've added to help you be equipped to stand for truth in the public square, including uh, links to Andrew's Biblical Worldview uh, series. I think that is one of the most important products he's ever put out. And I encourage you guys to get on there and get a copy, share it with your church and your family. Also, we're going to be talking tonight on this show about the forensic reports concerning the Mesa County election machine. And all three of those reports you can find on our website, links to them. So check that out. Coming up here at the ministry, we've just got done with Easter and the King David program, and it was awesome. But I wanted to mention some stuff that's coming up this summer. You need to mark your calendars for this. First off is the uh, In God We Trust performance. So if you're looking for somewhere to celebrate the 4th of July where they're not going to badmouth America and tell you a bunch of mm -hmm. lies, but we're going to celebrate our God-given heritage, come out to the In God We Trust performance because it's awesome. July 3rd and the 4th here in Woodland Park. And then the Summer Family Bible Conference right after that, one of the highlights of the year, at least in my opinion, Andrew, where um, there's amazing teachers and ministers and you get full of the word and you have great fellowship and lots of fun. So check that out. You can register for those events 
on the website at awmi.net. And uh, also, if you're not a subscriber to Truth and Liberty, you need to be. Subscribers get weekly emails and blog posts and helpful information, links to all kinds of stuff. We try to, you know, we're fulfilling our mission here to equip you to stand for truth. And so if you subscribe today, we'll send you a free gift in the mail, uh, which is Andrew's newest book, um, More Grace, More Favor. This is still your newest, right? Maybe not. I don't know. He writes it so all many, runs together. Well, it <laughs> takes a year by the time I approve them before they come out, and I don't know if there's, I don't know. Well, this one's about humility. It's good. And it is good. And humility to me is like one of those keys to power in the kingdom that, that you just don't hear enough. So subscribe today and we'll send that to you in the mail. And then also Andrew mentioned interactive. You can uh, put your questions on our chat function there uh, and we'll try to get to those tonight for Dr. Doherty or Andrew. And uh, we really encourage you to do that. We're doing awesome stuff here with God's help at Truth and Liberty and making a difference. And if you want to be a part of that, you can be a part, an important part, by being a, becoming a member. Just go on our donate page on our website, sign up to make a recurring automatic contribution of $5 or more per month, and you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. And uh, we thank you for that. And we'll send you a free gift in the mail. Uh, we've got a few copies left of Alex McFarland's The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Country Before It's Too Late. And if we run out of those, then we'll send you another gift, probably the New England Primer. So, but become a member today and you'll get a free gift in the mail. And I wanted to mention, um, uh, that those gifts are not tax deductible, okay, because we're a 501c4. But God notices and they're still going to do the Lord's work. So thank you for your generosity. And uh, if you need prayer tonight, Andrew's uh, prayer line is open, 24-7 prayer center, uh, uh, man with with trained, Word of God-filled, uh, Spirit-filled prayer ministers. So call in tonight, 719-635-1111, and someone will agree with you in prayer. And let me just reaffirm something that Richard said, that every time we have questioned election integrity, we've been censored mm -hmm. on YouTube. So if you are watching YouTube, uh, I would encourage you to go to truthandliberty.net because there is a very good chance of them censoring us and cutting it out. Yep, that's so right. That'd be good. All right, our guest tonight is Dr. Walter Daughtery. And uh, man, what a blessing to have him on. And he is a part of a team that was hired by, uh, I don't know if it was by Tina Peters or anyway, somebody in Mesa County, Colorado, when they found irregularities in the voting in 2020 and also I think in 2021. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tina did a backup on the Dominion devote voting machines before they came in and did an update, which she found out, and I'll let Walter give all the details, but I think it was 29,000 files that were different between what they had and after this thing. And the, uh, they have just produced, if I'm not mistaken, an 88 page report on this analysis that they did, and it is not good for election. Integrity. So this is Dr. Walter Daughtery, and he's joining us from College Station, Texas. Thank you for being with us, Walter, on such short notice. What a blessing. Uh, thank you, Andrew and Richard. It's a privilege to be here. And my wife and I really enjoyed the time that we spent at Karis Bible College and Andrew Womack Ministries. Uh, beautiful view of Pikes Peak Amen. that we can see out your window right now. I uh, wish I was there in person, but that's the wonders of the internet and Zoom is that I can be here in College Station and, and looking out your window. So let's Please. start by just asking you a question. Do you think that your audit uh, 
proves or indicates that there was fraudulent things done during the election? What our report proves is that there were unauthorized and illegal manipulations of vote data inside the machine during both the general election in November 2020 and the city council in Grand Junction in spring of 2021. So Mesa County runs the election for the city of Grand Junction when they had the city council election. We saw a similar pattern in both of them. When I say we, Jeffrey O'Donnell is the primary author on this 88-page report, and then I was brought in to confirm and verify his findings, and so I'm a, a co-author with him. What I would recommend is that you go to the truthandliberty.net website, click on Mesa report number three, and read the executive summary, and then skip down to the conclusions, because there's about 50 pages of numbers in there that unless you're having trouble falling asleep, you may not want to read through all of those tables. <laughs> all right, it so actually says what was inside the machine. So Walter, before we get into all of the information, uh, what is your qualifications and Jeff's uh, qualifications to be able to do this audit? Because I, I can guarantee you there's people that are gonna question the audit, audit because it doesn't uh, fit what they want to believe and so they will turn on the messenger. So how, how, what's your qualifications? Uh, well, I'll also mention Jeffrey O'Donnell's qualifications. Their, uh, our biographies are at the end of that report. So the Mesa report number three on truthandliberty.net. Uh, Jeffrey has been designing and supporting databases for about 40 years. Uh, he's highly qualified in that area. It's his specialty. I have a bachelor's degree from Oklahoma Christian in mathematics. You know, back then, there weren't any computer science majors. Mm. That was a, a degree yet in, the, yet in the future. And then I have a master's and a doctorate from Harvard. Uh, I taught computer science and engineering for 37 years, the last 32 years at Texas A&M University in College Station, Texas, uh, retired in 2019. I've also been a consultant or an expert witness for a number of major national and international uh, corporations. All right, so could you just start going through what has this uh, audit revealed and explain it to people? Uh, they may be as uninformed as I am. Before we went on the air, you were sharing about how we used to have like 90 something percent transparency. So just give us all of that information. Well, that's right. If you go back in history, up until about 30 years ago, most jurisdictions had hand-marked paper ballots, which at the end of the day were counted by hand with observers from both parties watching the clerks count the ballots. And so I would say it was a 90 or 99% transparent process. Once machines started being adopted, and I'm not talking about mechanical machines, there were mechanical voting machines back in the 1960s where you would flip a lever and after you'd flipped all your levers there was a big handle that would uh, cast your vote and open the curtain for the next person i'm talking about computerized voting machines starting about 30 years ago now ballots go in numbers come out and we have no idea what goes on in between were the ballots counted were they altered 
Were they deleted? Were they ignored? We don't know because we can't see inside the machine. It's gone to 0% transparent until now. So because the county clerk and recorder in Mesa County, Colorado, Tina Peters, said when they came to do an update on her election system in May of 2021, she asked, is this going to delete anything off of my machine? And they said, yes, it is. We're going to erase the disk and install a new version of the software. So you were on version 5.11, now you're gonna get version 5.13. And she said, you are not erasing my system until I make a backup, which actually is federal law that says you have to preserve election records for 22 months and state law in Colorado is even stricter, 25 months. But that, that's just prudent. I mean, can you imagine keeping your money in a bank that didn't make a backup every yeah. night? Uh -huh. I mean, what if there were a fire or a tornado or something? They'd lose everything if they didn't, didn't have a backup. So she made a backup, and this is the first time that we've actually been able to look inside a machine and see what happened during the election. And what we found was unauthorized and illegal manipulation of the vote data. So Jeffrey found that, and then I looked in the databases myself and confirmed that it's there, and that's what's in the report. It's not about who the candidates are, who won or lost. It's about did the software in the machine do it correctly, and the answer is no. So this so wasn't a, some kind of a glitch or a mistake. Uh, you're saying that it was intentionally manipulated. Well... Again, playing Sherlock Holmes, uh, we have three possible suspects. It could have been human. So maybe the clerks pushed the wrong button and produced the manipulation that shouldn't have done. Because the two things you're always looking for, and this applies whether you're a detective or whether you're one of my computer science students trying to debug a program. What's it doing that it's not supposed to be doing and what's it not doing that it's supposed to be doing? You answer those two questions, you've got a pretty good idea of what to look for and where to, where to look for it. So that's what we did uh, with this machine. So if you could put up the first slide, I'll walk you through the way it was supposed to be and then we'll talk about what we actually found. So here's what Dominion says is in the election management server. Ballots are scanned much like you would take a picture with your cell phone. So there's a digital image which turns the picture into a bunch of ones and zeros. And that picture of the ballot, about a hundred of those are batched in that folder up at the top of the picture. Then they go into a tabulation database which has basic information about each ballot. What precinct was it from? What scanner scanned it? What time was it scanned? That kind of information. From there, the, there are two ways to decide how the, that particular ballot voted. One is automatically by machine for the easy cases. So let's say that this particular ballot had an oval by candidate A and another oval by candidate B, and the top oval was completely filled in and the bottom oval was completely empty. 
Well, in that case, it's clear. They voted for A. And so the machine just says they voted for A. But what if the person couldn't make up their mind and started to mark A and made a little mark and then started to mark B and made a little mark and then came back and only filled A in halfway? Now the machine says, I'm not sure who they voted for, and it kicks it out to a human. And so the, the clerk and observers then look at the picture of the ballot and say, can we tell for certain who this person voted for? You may remember in 2000 election, there were the hanging chads yeah, in Florida. That was terrible. Yes, it was. Well, that was the adjudication process uh -huh. is look at this punch card ballot. Now, this hole is half punched out and this hole is two thirds punched out. Did they really mean to vote for the second one or the first one? So when it's not clear, then it goes to a human, the clerk and observers say, okay, they really intended to, to vote for that person. I mean, I know this will come a surprise to you, Andrew. There's probably a sermon in here somewhere, but people don't always follow directions. No, that, that's totally shocking to me. <laughs> and so the directions say, fill in your chosen oval completely and don't make any stray marks anywhere else on the ballot. And so what happens? Somebody comes along and says, well, I want to vote for candidate B, and they put a big X across the oval. Okay, the machine says, I don't know who they voted for, gives it to the human, the human says, well, they didn't follow the directions, but I'm sure they voted for B, so count that as a vote for B. Now, what if the two ovals were both exactly half filled in? Then that's a double vote, it's called an overvote. And in that case, the rules say, you can't count that race. So go see how they voted for the other contest. But for this contest, this ballot is void. It, it's an overvote. So that's the adjudication step, is decide how the ballots voted, either automatically for the unambiguous cases or with human uh, assistance. So now we've decided how the each ballot voted, then the adjudication database passes that information on, if we can go back to the slide, passes that on to the main election database at the bottom, and it adds one vote for candidate A or one vote for candidate B or whatever the case may be. So that's what Dominion says is in the server, and that's how the process is supposed to work. Uh, Richard, do you have any questions before I go on to the next slide? Well, I'm, I'm tracking with you here, uh, Dr. Doherty. Um, so you're gonna get into what you found, I hope, about the uh, the change that took place mid after counting began in the rate of adjudication. Yeah, I just want to make sure you cover that. Otherwise, I'm good. Go ahead and continue telling the story here. All right, let's go to the second slide of what was actually in the machine when Jeffrey O'Donnell looked in it. What was actually in the machine was not one, but two tabulation databases. And they weren't identical not one, but two adjudication databases, and they weren't identical either. Now, Walter, that couldn't, be a, that couldn't be a glitch. I mean, this had to be intentional to have a separate database that was different. Am I correct? That's right. The only legitimate reason for constructing a second database 
would be if there were some major catastrophe, like a massive power outage, and they said, okay, we're going to shut down the election, start over, that would create a new database, set everything to zero, and they would have to rescan all the ballots up to that point before the power failure. That would be the only case where they could legitimately create a second database is if they were restarting the election from zero. And that's not what happened in this case. Uh -huh. What happened in this case is after about a fourth of the mail-in votes were counted, so roughly 25,000 out of 91,000 ultimate final total votes had been counted. After about 25,000 votes had been counted, that first adjudication database and first tabulation database had 25,000 votes in them. They'd been adjudicated to decide how that each ballot voted. When the new databases were created on the right side, if we can go back to that slide, the on the left tabulation database, it had 25,000 ballots in it. When they created the tabulation database on the right, they only copied about 20,000 of the 25,000. They left about 5,500 ballots behind. So hmm. now they copied some, but not all, and that's what the red arrow indicates, is it was a selective copy. So they copied some, but not all, of the first 25,000 ballots to the tabulation database. And then for the adjudication database that said, these 25,000 ballots have already been adjudicated. We've decided who they voted for, either automatically in the machine or with human uh, decision, and counted in the main database. They copied those to the adjudication database and said, adjudicate them again. So this was a mistake. You know, if you want to cover your tracks, you don't leave two right footprints when there ought to be a right footprint and a left footprint in the snow. And so when they presented the same ballot again for adjudication, one of the clerks said, you know, I've seen this ballot before. So I don't know what it was, but it was something unusual. Maybe it was one of those, they put an X across the oval instead of filling it in. The clerk said, I've seen this ballot before. Oh, well, I guess it didn't take the first time I said they voted for A, so I'll do it again. And so she pushed the button and said, this is a vote for A. But there's a little counter up at the top of her screen that says how many ballots you've decided. And so let's say it said, you've done 37 so far. Here's a new one. She said, well, I did that before, but I'll do it again. And so she did it again, and the count didn't change. It should have gone to 38, and it stayed at 37. She said, we've got a problem. So this was on the third day of early vote counting. So early vote counting began on October 19th, uh, 2020. October 20th, they counted. October 21st, they counted until a little after 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then when this happened, they said, we know something is wrong. So they called Dominion, said, we've got a problem, described the problem. Dominion said, we'll see if we can reproduce it in our office, then called back to say they couldn't, but that problem didn't recur until the end of the election. Now, the point Richard was making about the adjudication is not only were some of the same ballots presented again for adjudication, which is how the clerk recognized there was a problem, 
but a different number of ballots was presented. So think about this. We have the same program that's supposed to be looking at the ovals and decide, was this oval 90% filled in or not? And we give it a ballot and it gets a different answer. The ballot must have been changed. So that copy in the to the adjudication database, the adjudication program must not have been looking at the same ballot. Now, this is an, an inference. This is not, I can't prove it. So Walter, but if you can I have an adding machine and you say add up two plus three and it gets five, and you say add up two plus three and it gets six, you say some of the numbers I put in must have been different. Go ahead, Richard. Well, so um, the machine reprocessed, made copy of some but not all of the ballots and put them in the new database and then did a recount of those, supposedly of those ballot images, but the number that gets sent to adjudication is different the second time around. Is that, is that what you're saying? That's correct. And so the only way that that could happen is if either the images are different, someone has changed the ballot pictures, either with new, cop new ballot pictures or they've somehow altered it, or midway in the count, they've adjusted the sensitivity settings on the machine. Is that, am I understanding that right? Uh, yes, that's correct. And in this case, we cannot tell if the ballot images have been altered because they omitted the authentication file. So when you take a picture, it's basically, depending on the resolution of the camera, let's just say a million dots. So a million black and white dots that make up the picture, and those black and white dots are ones and zeros uh, in the computer. Then there's, a authentic, there's an authentication process called SHA, Secure Hash Authentication, that basically takes those million numbers and compiles them into one 64-bit, 64-character string that acts like a fingerprint such that if you were to change even one out of those million dots, then recalculate the fingerprint, it wouldn't match the fingerprint. So it's a way of verifying that the image hasn't been changed. Those files are supposed to be created every time they take a picture of a ballot, they were not. So the SHA files are missing. So now if we were to go back and look at the ballot images, so we were looking at the database of the counts and the decisions. We were not looking at the ballot images, but if we were to go back and look at the ballot images, we would have no way of knowing if that was the original scanned image or an altered image because the SHA file that would say this has been altered or not is missing. So let me ask this question. How did these changes happen? Is this something that was programmed into the Dominion machines or I've heard, uh, I, I forgot if it was you or somebody else say that there were all kinds of devices that anybody connected to the internet could get into that machine and change these things. How did these changes happen? Well, again, we go back to uh, playing detective and say, uh, who are the three suspects that could have done it? So we looked inside the machine, we see things that shouldn't be there, duplicate tabulation databases, except they're not exact duplicates, du 
a second adjudication database. So we see things that are there that shouldn't be there, and we say, see things that ought to be there and aren't. The authentication files for all, all the ballot images. Now, what could have produced this? So the three obvious hypotheses are a human did it. So that could have been a very skilled database uh, administrator like Jeffrey O'Donnell sitting down at a keyboard and typing in 157 commands to say, copy this one, don't copy that one, change this one, fix this setting and so forth. That is far beyond the skill of any of the county employees or uh, no offense, even their IT guy, because in order to do that, you would have to know the structure of how all of these database tables. Remember I said, it's like a filing cabinet. Well, mm -hmm. it's a filing cabinet with thousands of folders and thousands of page spreadsheets in every folder and they're all interconnected. You would have to know the connections in order to do that. So. Could it have been done by a human sitting in front of the computer? Technically, yes. Practically, no. Okay, could it have been by a human remotely, which is the question you raised? Because when Mesa County, when Dominion was awarded the contract for Mesa County, I understand, they asked Dominion, okay, what should we order? You know, how many scanners, how many pull pads, whatever the other devices are, uh, and what specifications should we put on them? And Dominion said, you need to order wireless modems on all the, on this, on certain of these machines. So some of the machines had wireless modems in it, in them. Whether they were turned on or off, we don't know because the logs that would show that were also erased, but they were erased in a different way. They were erased by being kept too small. So logs like who logs in with what name at what time, which database gets created at what time and so forth. Those logs typically have a fixed size. And when you have activity, 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 and it fills up, it goes back and overwrites the oldest. So basically you're looking at the most recent, let's say the most recent week of activity. So by the time we got the copy in May, we could look back a week, but we couldn't look back all the way to November. So we don't know if there was an external connection or not because the log that would tell us that is no, lo is no longer there. But so me, then the third possible, go ahead. Let me ask a question. I've heard, uh, not necessarily about Mesa County, but just the voting process in general, that none of these machines were supposed to be hooked up to a modem. And you were saying that Mesa County was told to order wireless modems for some of these machines. Isn't, isn't that irregular or not? Well, that's my understanding. And again, I, I don't know of, of the reason for it or if there was some legitimate use. I mean, obviously the machines that are in the room have to talk to each other and they could be connected by a wire uh, the Ethernet cable that goes to your cable modem. They could be connected by Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or a cellular modem, which is like what's in in your cell phone. Um, we we just don't know. But, but so they were networked within the room. The question or the challenge, of course, is 
was that network connection visible outside the room? And if you go back to truthandliberty.net report number two, uh, the investigator there, Doug Gould, actually showed that if the network was connected to Wi-Fi, then it could have been changed not only from somebody in the room, but even from somebody standing out on the, in the hallway. But that's something we don't know because the logs don't exist. So that leaves the third possibility. So we don't think humans could have done it sitting at the machine. We, we don't think that happened. Uh, we don't know if there was an external connection by the network to do it. And so the third possibility is that it was pre-programmed to do this. So the program was designed ahead of time to say, how many votes are you expecting? 91,000, after you've counted a fourth of them, see if it's the race is going the way you want it to, what the percentage of votes are. And if it's not, then create a second database, copy some, but not all, go through all of these manipulating steps in order to uh, achieve the desired outcome. So in the latter two cases, in my opinion, either the machine was pre-programmed to do this, in which case you can't trust the machine, or the machine was so poorly configured that it was possible for someone to connect in from the outside and change it, in which case you can't trust the machine. So my bottom line is we've proven that you can't trust the machines in Dominion in, uh, we can't trust the Dominion machine in Mesa County, Colorado. If you can't trust one machine, then why would you trust any voting machine? So Walter, we've had, uh, we've had Tina Peters on a couple of times in Sharona Bishop and they have been assaulted, even arrested and all kinds of things happening. And yet it seems like that anything they did was so minor compared to Dominion, because uh, you mentioned it at the top of the broadcast, that they have to maintain all of these records in case there is an audit for, what, 25 months or something like that? And for Dominion to come in and do an update and erase this, isn't that against the law? How come nobody has criticized uh, Dominion, held them to account? Well, once our report was published, and as I said a couple of times before, but I'll say it again, to my knowledge, this is the first time we've been able to look inside a machine and see what happened during the election, that, what Jeffrey O'Donnell found, and I confirmed that report has been delivered to the district attorney in Mesa County to ask them to investigate crimes. Now, Mesa County has been the one that's prosecuting Tina Peters. It mm -hmm. seems like that there is a deliberate uh, conspiracy against any of this information coming out. Uh, what happens if this district attorney in Mesa County just decides to do nothing with it? Do you have another recourse, or is that your area? Does somebody else have to do this? Well, there are a lot of people around the country who are taking a lot of different approaches to improve the integrity of our elections. Nye County, Nevada has actually banned the machines. So one of the beauties of our federal system, and Richard, you'll appreciate this, is that instead of the federal government giving rights to the states who give rights to the people, 
It's the people who give rights to the states and the states who give rights to the federal government. And what that means is that your county sheriff and your county commissioners have plenary authority to conduct elections. So if there's a problem with opening at 7 a.m. on election day, uh, they don't have enough pencils or whatever, and they have to wait an hour before they can start voting, the county judge can say, we're not going to close at 7 p.m. We're going to extend an extra hour to 8 p.m. So the county judge has that power. And Nye County, Nevada, the county commissioners said, we've seen enough. We're not going to trust these machines, and we're not going to use them in any elections anymore. We're going to have hand-marked paper ballots hand-counted. We've had a number of people on that say that that's the only way to really correct this right now is to just do paper ballots hand-counted. So anyway, now, another another avenue that is being pursued uh, by Mike Lindell's group is to seek uh, preliminary injunctions. And so he has said that he's going to go into seven or eight states and ask the courts to order something along these lines that the machines not not be used in further elections until they all of the uh, vulnerabilities have been properly addressed and remedied. So I, uh, I'd like to jump in on this one as a lawyer and say that all we need is one good DA and one good judge somewhere in the country where Dominion machines were used and they can prosecute and investigate based solely on the fact that the federal law was violated when Dominion came in and wiped these servers clean. The Arizona audit down there, they confirmed that. They, their report shows that they couldn't get access to the digital evidence because it had been wiped off the hard drive. Same thing happened here. This is being driven by, it looks like to me, by Dominion, and that is a violation of law. And we just need one district attorney to, and with their investigatory power and other things, they could open this thing wide up. We just need somebody with some courage. Amen. So I encourage our viewers, take a, get a link of this video, send it to your local elected DA wherever you are and tell them you want Dominion investigated. So Walter, let me ask you this. We've got just about five minutes until we want to start taking some questions. Could you just summarize this worst case scenario? I know that you aren't the judge, but based on the information that you've seen, uh, does this mean that there was definitely fraud, that something was done illegally and uh, what could the ramifications of that be? Well, it was, as I said, either the machines were pre-programmed to manipulate vote data. I would call that fraud. Illegally, <laughs> which sounds like fraud to me. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer. We need to run it run it by by Richard. Either yeah, but you know, it's like defining what a woman is. <laughs> you don't have to be a biologist to define what a woman is. Let's not go there. But I was going to say we don't need a whole show to do that either. I, we can. See. <laughs> well, and Richard really cared about the percentage of sensitivity on how much of the oval had to be filled in, and I just told him. If you have 91,000 votes and you don't have 91,000 ballots, you got a problem. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that alludes to something else. Just real quick here, we didn't touch on, but the uh, when they created the shadow databases, the original databases suddenly were no longer available for the election officials to see. They hid those. Is that right? That's correct. So the election clerks, prior to the second database being uh, created could have said 
you know, I want to see ballot number 237 again. And they could have called that image up from the reference in the first tabulation database. Ballot 237 was one of the 5,500 that was not copied. And so after about a fourth of the votes had been processed, if the clerk had said, you know, I'd like to go back and look at ballot 237 again, they wouldn't have seen ballot 237 because everything would have kind of moved up 5,000 slots. So it's kind of like on a spreadsheet, you can hide rows. So the rows are there, it's just you can't see them anymore. Well, but another thing, you talked about that hash algorithm, that fingerprint, computer fingerprint, that that was turned off, but there was another safeguard you told me about that was turned off too, something about scanning paper, making sure it was the only the approved kind of paper. That was a safeguard. Can you talk about that? Uh, this was in Maricopa County, so I don't know if it applied in uh, Mesa County, Colorado, but Maricopa County, uh, Arizona was also Dominion. And Dominion specifies that their ballots must be printed on 80 pound paper, I think it is. That's about four times thicker than your ordinary copy or paper. And it has to be paper from the Roland Company in Canada, paper manufacturer, and it has to have what they call a ghost tagant. So this is some kind of coding in the paper. I don't know the details, but there is a little device inside the Dominion scanner that can check whether it's genuine ballot paper or not. It's kind of like telling whether a $100 bill is counterfeit or fake. There's a detector that can do that in your ATM and you go to get change for a counterfeit $100 bill, it won't, it won't take it, it can detect it. So in Maricopa County, the detector, so the way it's supposed to work is you have to have ballots printed on the specified paper, this extra heavy paper with the special coating on it that can be detected that it's genuine paper. In the Dominion scanner, there is a detector, and if it sees that the paper it's looking at is not genuine, it's supposed to reject the ballot. What I'm told is that in Maricopa County, Arizona, they turned the detector off. In other words, they said, don't check to see whether it's valid paper or not, just scan the ballot. Wow. That's what I was told. And I know that this uh, problem with Dominion is being challenged in a number of places, like you mentioned Maricopa County, but is uh, Mesa County, Colorado, the only one that somebody made a backup that can actually verify these discrepancies? I understand that in Colorado, Douglas County and Elbert County also made forensic backups. Uh, however, to my knowledge, they have not been examined, although Jeffrey O'Donnell and I would be more than happy to look at those images and see if the same problems. I didn't, we don't have time to go into it, but almost the identical manipulation occurred in spring of 2021 in the city council election in Grand Junction which Mesa County runs for the, the mm. city. And in that city council election, again, after about a fourth of the ballots were counted, new databases were created. Some, but not all, were copied. Re some were re-adjudicated. A different number were re-adjudicated. And at the end of the day, in Grand Junction City Council election, the winning margin was 3,000. There are 8,000 votes which are questionable. So more they than either, enough they to won account. or lost by 3,000 plus or minus 8,000. And wow. so, so Grand Junction City Council needs a new election. 
and the well, rest of us need to stop trusting machines since we've seen this machine is not trustworthy. I don't trust any machine. I tell you, to me, this verifies what uh, Tina Peters has said on yes. a number of occasions, that she now has some facts to back it up. And so when you report this, this report came out when? Last week or two weeks ago? It was published March 21st on frankspeech.com, and then truthandliberty.net also has a link to it. Okay, so anyway, this is fairly recent. I guess uh, you mentioned that if they don't like the message, then they attack the messenger. So they're trying to discredit uh, that this does not have any authority behind it, or how have they responded to this? Well, you know, if you don't like the message, smear the messenger. So uh, the fact checker for Facebook wrote an article the next day or a couple of days after March 21st when the report was, uh, was made public, uh, saying uh, these two guys, Jeffrey O'Donnell and Walter Doherty, don't know what they're doing. And if they found things that were manipulated in the database, they must have done it themselves. Well, I guarantee you, whoever criticized you doesn't have near the qualifications that you do. <laughs> they have no right to do that. Man, this well, is amazing. All we, all we did was report what we found in the machine, and I want to emphasize that. We were not looking for one candidate or another. We were looking to see is the, I guess you could call it the trail, or the, is the evidence inside the machine what it ought to be? And, and it's, it's not. not. Mm -hmm. Okay, we need to take some questions. We got just under 13 minutes left. Amazing, well, uh, one of our viewers here wants to know if Dr. Doherty, you know about whether these machines were ever, not like the Mesa County machine, but were Dominion machines ever used in Venezuela? And what's the history of the development of this software? Another viewer wants to know, were they made in China? So what do you know about that subject? What's the foreign, uh, foreign roots of this? Uh, well, to the second question, most computer motherboards are made in China. And there have been uh, several, I guess you'd say, bug chips found on Chinese motherboards that we know about. So again, it's not proof that they were in these machines, but if one brand of machine, Supermicro, you can look it up, had a special chip on it that was a bug, uh, essentially a wiretapping tapping device, then you have to be very careful about about other uh, other computers. Uh, but b back to your first question, uh, which was what about Venezuela? About Venezuela, Hugo oh, Venezuela. Chavez. Yeah. Okay. So th this the history of uh, computerized voting. Remember, there were voting machines, punch card. In fact, the punch card was invented for the census, and then it was used for voting in uh, in Florida, but. Um, computerized voting machines were first developed by Smartmatic in Venezuela. Uh, and apparently that was in order to ensure that Hugo Chavez won. So that was part of the, the purpose of the Smartmatic company was to, uh, for, was for the Venezuelan elections. And then there has been a long history of mergers, acquisitions, spinoffs, programmers leaving one voting machine company to go work for another. Almost all of the software goes back 
it can be traced back to that first, it's called GEMS, G-E-M-S, uh, that Smartmatic and Diebold and some other companies use. Because when you think about it, the basic function of a voting machine is very simple. What percent is this oval filled in? Well, you just count the black dots and you know the size of the circle. And if it's enough, if that's the blackest oval and you're gonna count it, then you add one to the count. So the basic software is pretty simple, but it's it has been, as I said, purchased, bought out, sold many, many times to the point that I would be surprised if pieces of Smartmatic and Gem software were not in Dominion, ESNS, Heart, InterCivic, and all of the other voting machine companies as well. Uh, great, well, we've got another question here, uh, Dr. Doherty. Uh, this person is, is wanting to know um, if the election was manipulated on a larger scale, how many people would it take to actually control that? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of interpreting this question. How many people would it take, say, behind the veil uh, controlling uh, the creation of these databases and other things like that. Would it be a vast conspiracy with thousands or would it just be a handful of people? Well, it depends on what aspect you're talking about. So in the case of uh, the 2000mules.org movie that's about to come out mm -hmm. from Dinesh D'Souza, in just one county in Georgia, there were over 200 people who were making a circuit of drop boxes every single night, getting paid $10 a ballot for dropping them off. And just one of those over 200 people said he made $45,000. So that's 4,500 wow. fake ballots that wow. he personally dropped off. Multiply that by 200 in one county and then other counties around the, the country that have done it. So there's that piece, there's the the inflated registration rolls. So some researchers, not me personally, but some researchers have found that they're in right before the election, there is a Richard A. Harris, Richard B. Harris, Richard C. Harris, Richard D. Harris, Richard E. Harris, all registered to vote. They all voted on election day and then they moved out of state and their names were deleted right after election day. So all of these avenues of manipulation or, or fraud require a fair number of people. If you're talking about programming the machine, uh, I guess the simplest case is it would only take one very smart programmer to do it. But since it's over a period of time, it's probably more than that. And since the settings don't seem to be the same. So when I compare the outcome. So up until now, all we've been able to do is look at the results and ask, do the results look like what a fair election would look like? So for example, in Pima County, Arizona, I analyzed the mail-in ballots. After the first 50,000 ballots, the percentage for one candidate or the other ought to be the same from to the rest of the election. But instead, it changed by a factor of two. Wow. And so I could see from that result that it was manipulated, but that wasn't a Dominion machine. That was a different brand. So I could see that result was, was manipulated. Hmm. Wow. Well, so um, 
if the machines were pre-programmed to create these fake databases and re redo the vote count, would there be some kind of algorithm that might have been pre-programmed to trigger that, uh, that action? Uh, or did you find any evidence of the use of algorithms in this? Well, algorithm is basically just a recipe. It says do step one, do step two. If step three is negative, do step four, otherwise do step five. So it's just a, a, a list of instructions. So any computer program uh, is an al algorithm in that sense. What I think you're referring to is a, uh, for want of a better word, a, a nefarious algorithm. And so just looking at the behavior in Mesa County, what it looks like the algorithm was is count 25,000 votes and see who's ahead. And if the person we want isn't ahead, then create a new database and ignore 5,000 of those votes that we don't like for the candidate we didn't select and copy the others. That's, that's what it looks like. But until we get the source code, and that's another thing I would really like to see, is in order to, to get the contract <clears throat> with a state, the vendor has to deposit a copy of the source code in escrow with the Secretary of State. And so what I would like to get, I would like to get permission to see the source code from the Secretary of State's office to compile it and see if it matches the program in the machine. Is it the same? Is it the same program? So the source code is what humans can read. The what's in the machine is a bunch of ones and zeros in machine language. And I'd like to see if it's the same. And if I had the source code, I could look and see if there is a statement that says, if a fourth of the votes have been counted and chosen candidate is behind, then do X. But we haven't had that access yet. Well, of course, this is just me speaking, but uh Jenna Greenwald Griswold. Griswold is our Secretary of State, and she has come out against Tina Peters, Sharona Bishop, big time. And I think it's because she's in cahoots with the uh, manipulation and stuff. And it just so happens Tina Peters is running against her. Yes. So that's really good. But uh, I think that the deep state. Uh, exist in Colorado and is trying to cover all this stuff up. Well, and, and two, uh, the Democrats in Colorado are trying to push through a bill right now to concentrate even more control with Jenna Griswold's office, banning the, the county election officials from really uh, having any influence at all and uh, mandating the use of Dominion machines all so over the state. So taking it away from the people and putting it into more government hands and where more it takes fewer people to yep. be able to manipulate and control. Yes, that's right. Well, I, I suppose Dominion is all willing to share the source code. I mean, they're all about transparency, right? <laughs> well, of course it's proprietary. So the, uh, any company that writes a software product, whether it's a payroll program or whatever, does not want to give their competitors uh, any advantage to see how they did this neat feature that customers seem to like uh, in their particular machine. So like creating fake databases. <laughs> there are, uh, well, yeah, some customers like to do that. I don't know if you remember uh, Clinton Curtis, uh, but back in 2000, he was approached by the Speaker of the House in Florida, State House of Representatives, and asked, could you program uh, an algorithm to flip a close race? 
So if the race is 51 to 49 percent, could you program it to flip that to 49-51? And he said, yes, I could. And then the politician uh, says that he never uh, followed up on doing it. And then when I saw he went public with this about 2006, and as soon as I saw that interview, I asked myself, okay, suppose I'd gotten the call. Walter, could you program a computer to flip a close race from 49.51 to 51.49? And it took me about 15 seconds to come up with a way to do it. Here's what I would do. I would add one line of code that says, when you get ready to print the results, what the number of votes were for each candidate, look to see if the login name ended with a space. And if the login name ended with a space, flip the votes. So now I'm the inside person. I log on as Walter. The day the election's going on. It's the end of the day. It's time to print the reports. The chosen person is behind 49 to 51. I say, um, I need to take a break. So I'm going to log off. I come back. I log in as Walter Space. So anybody looking over my shoulder won't even see it. And they mm-hmm. won't know that when you push the button to say print the report, it says if login name ends with space, swap the names on the report. And now the 4951 becomes 5149. So it took me 15 seconds to come up with a way to to program it. Well, Walter, I'm gonna have to break in. We've only got a minute left, but we sure appreciate you. Appreciate you uh, sharing this information. And if people want to get hold of you, do you have a website or something where they could email you? Uh, if you can put that up on my screen, uh, I have an email address, and I also post on Telegram. Okay. Thank you very much, and thank you for coming on on short notice. Thank you for what you're doing, and we believe that God is going to protect you because people will assault the messenger if they don't like the message. To the rest of you, well, thank you for watching us. Thank you for being with us. Remember that we do this every Monday night at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. And we have guests on just like Dr. Daughtery and many other people, and it really is informative. It's things that you aren't going to hear many places. So uh, thank you for being with us. Also, thanks to CTN for carrying this on their network. They've been doing this a very long time, and we really appreciate it. God bless you all, and uh, make sure that you join us again next week as we continue to share truth and liberty here at uh, 6 o'clock p.m. every Monday. Good night. Join us next time for the Truth and Liberty broadcast. Find tonight's episode and related articles and links at truthandliberty.net. Truth and Liberty is viewer supported. If you'd like to help us continue our live casts, you can make a donation at truthandliberty.net 